Welcome to the PM&R Pocket Mentor Podcast, hosted by the Association of Academic Physiatrists. My name is Karis Turner, and I have the pleasure of introducing this episode hosted by Colette Piasecki Masters with Dr. Marka Lee Alexander. Dr. Alexander is a physical medicine and rehabilitation physician with a long-standing interest in climate change. She is a graduate of Jefferson Medical College and was the first female president of the American Spinal Injury Association. She founded Sustain Our Abilities, a 501c3 whose mission is to educate people about climate change, disability, and health. Without further ado, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Colette and Dr. Alexander. I was wondering if you could talk about your introduction to climate change advocacy. Well, um, climate change is such an important topic, and my background in rehab has been primarily in spinal cord injury, and my research interest was primarily in female sexual function. Although for years I had an interest in tele-rehab because I thought that was so important. What happened was I did training with Al Gore's um, Climate Project in 2007 when I had heard that was starting. And I did the training and I was kind of hyped up and I started doing some talks. I had young children at the time, started doing these talks. Um, did the training and I couldn't do everything, right? I was Asia president at the time and all these other things happened in my life. I actually ended up having cancer and got over that. And so life goes on. And it got to the point where in the, in the like 2012, 14, I really started submitting to meetings and saying, you know, we need to do a talk on climate change. We need to do climate change and rehab. And so I, I submitted to AAPMNR, I submitted to Asia, I submitted to ISCOS, the International Spinal Cord Society. And in fact, we submitted to AAPMNR more than once and the proposals were always rejected. And so to come from being asked to be a keynote speaker to constantly getting rejected, it's like you get frustrated after a while. So I was um, in my spinal cord injury career, I became editor of the journal Spinal Cord Series and Cases. And I started using that as a forum where I could start bringing climate change into the conversation. And I did a survey on climate change and spinal cord injury and just started getting reviews of professionals on how spinal cord injured patients were being impacted by climate change. Again, no traction. I wanted to get this message out there, but nobody really wanted to hear it. So finally, I was giving a lecture at the Spalding conference that they had on neuro rehab every year. And I went and I was, um, I like to walk. So I wanted to walk from the hotel to the meeting venue. And it was only a mile in, in Massachusetts near Boston. And it was so unsafe to walk. It was like everyone had to use a bus because they couldn't walk. So, um, you know, the streets, no sidewalks, no nothing. So I said, and partly I said this because my kids were old enough, I said, you know, I'm just going to walk. And I said, you know, I'm old enough, I've been in the field for long enough that it's time to just do what I really think is the most important issue in the world. And it was, you know, it was really hard for me to justify having my whole career spent in one area of focus. You know, academically, we have to go into this area and you have to get down to the level where you're studying details, right? Mm -hmm. This is what you need to do for research funding. But I think in life, we, we kind of have to reevaluate we've, what we've done many times. And so my initial career path became very focused 
And I said, well, wait, that's not what I can do with my life. You know, I really want to do whatever's going to help people the most. So I said, you know, climate change is important. Nobody is attending to the issues of people with disability. I'm going to do this. And so I started this walk. Um, I started talking about it in 2018. In 2019, I started a walk from Canada to Key West. Um, and that was really like a big jump into climate change. Um, so that's how I made my personal journey. Why did I make my journey? Because this is the future. I'm a mom. Hopefully someday I'll be a grandmom. I look at the world. I know from what I've known. Um, I wish I had had the courage in the 80s. You know, there were a couple times in the 80s when I heard about climate change. And I'm like, oh my God, that's so terrible. You know, I just like, I don't believe it, you know. And that was my first response. And it wasn't, I didn't really get awareness, I guess, and change my actions until the mid-2000s when Gore came out with his book. So when he came out with that book, I'm like, yeah, I want to I wanna get this training. I was in the second class to be trained. And it was, it was I guess, my epiphany is I need to be doing what I think is going to be the most beneficial. Mm-hmm. And I want to definitely revisit your walk um, <laughs> and multiple walks, actually. <laughs> um, but to start, you mentioned your like how this could impact your patients um, with spinal cord injury. Absolutely. Do you have any specific examples of, of uh, patients that were impacted so absolutely. far? Yeah. Yes, well, climate change causes disasters, right? Um, and it also causes change in heat and, and cold and that sort of thing. So people with spinal cord injuries live in many places around the country, right? I have one... one um, patient that, uh, one colleague that I know, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say these are patients, but people living in San Francisco or the California area, you know, if you're living in a city and then there's the fires, right? Mm -hmm. You can't go outside for the fires. I have uh, people that I know in Reno in that area. And so, you know, just because you have a spinal cord injury doesn't mean you don't want to have a life, right? You want to be outdoors. You want to do all these great things outside. Fire comes, what happens? You're indoors, right? You cannot... Um, you might have to go somewhere, um, and the wildfires have been huge, in, in, especially in California, right? Then um, I have a lot of, a number of colleagues in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is a main example. Um, I visited with uh, Gretchel Dillon, who's a PhD um, psychologist, an industrial psychologist who has a spinal cord injury, and she, she went through Maria, as did many people with spinal cord injuries, and I, I went to Puerto Rico to interview people with spinal cord injuries about their experiences. And basically, it was so bad there that they had to share catheters. I mean, you're talking no power for six months, so you're in a hot area to start with. You don't have proper um, housing. You're you know, potentially sleeping on the floor. I mean, so many issues. Um, then I've gone, I've, I traveled to Houston and all, you know, the, the ways when they had the flooding there. One of the people I had talked to about um, climate change and disability was a, a woman named Mar- Margaret Nosek, and um, she was a pioneer in female sexuality and disability. She had spinal muscular atrophy, and we hadn't talked to each other for years, but um, after I started my walk, um, I started talking to her, and, um, you know, it was like the issue of generators. You can't have a generator. If you're on a ventilator, forget the generators because they make so much, so much uh, pollution. 
it's really impossible to use a generator. So, you know, those, those are some of the extremes in terms of emergencies. But, you know, now we look at things and it's the opposite side, right? We've got the cold spells. So we didn't used to have temperature changes of 70 degrees in a day, right? And so what I see is that people living with spinal cord injuries, and this is also true for the elderly and other groups, but spinal cord injuries, MS, you're living in an environment that is, it's, it's not fully accessible to start with. And then you add the component of extreme weather events and climate change and basically it kills community integration. Mm-hmm. It, it kills so much of the quality of life issues that people really need. Mm-hmm. So um, I personally have also, over the past few years, I started a nonprofit called Sustain Our Abilities, and we have um, rehab professionals in other places that are involved and also persons with the experience of disabilities part of the group. There's teams that There's a team we have in Greece It's another place where they've had the fires and the extreme heat, and the providers are now very interested about this. Um, Philippines, India, there's, you know, if you think about the issues we've had in the U.S., and then you multiply the issues, and then you take away the money we have, that's what people are experiencing around the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's very common to just think about the United States um, in a lot of healthcare, at least to start. But right, like you said, for global, globally, mm-hmm. this is impacting the entire world. And Absolutely. rehab infrastructure, at least from what I have heard in other areas of the world, is not nearly as robust as a lot of places in the United States. So the need is like that much higher. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, one of the biggest issues that goes on is getting people to be aware of things, right? And getting physiatrists um, to pay attention to this issue. Mm -hmm. And as I've gotten more into this field, I've gotten into the climate health space and um, different specialties have different degrees of interest and involvement in climate change. In particular, a lot of ER docs work in climate change. A lot of infectious disease docs are aware. Dermatologists are aware. Um, mental health people, professionals are aware. But rehab is really kind of slow and at mm-hmm. the and at the end point. So there is so much that physiatrists can do and so much that we need to do. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really exciting that medical students and residents would think about this early on in their careers and as they structure their careers, say, okay, well, I'm going to practice sustainably in medicine. But there's a lot of infrastructure that we need to add in the field of rehab for people to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, the issues of climate and health need to be part of medical school education. Fortunately, there's organizations such as Med Students for a Sustainable Future that have been started. And it's amazing because they, they're not even a official nonprofit yet. And yet they have about 500 students involved all around the country and they're doing different things. And then um, there's the Planetary Health Report Card where medical students are um, talking about the issue of climate change and health with different medical schools. One thing I would point out is sometimes the, year, the term planetary health is used versus climate change and health. And that comes for, more from a public health standpoint. 
Um, there's the issue, and, and I, I tend to use climate change and health because I think it's more practical and doctors understand it. Mm-hmm. Planetary health kind of takes into the issues of, you know, the impact on the environment and the impact on food changes and that sort of thing. So it's a more all-encompassing term, but it's used more in a public health venue than in practical clinical medicine. Okay. And I think that's a perfect segue to how can, there's a lot of medical students, a lot of residents specifically that listen to this podcast. How can we as future physicians or physicians early in our careers really take the baton and Mm -hmm. go from here? Like what, what are some actionable steps that you would suggest to just start to someone that is maybe new in this space? Sure. Well, if you're, if you're interested in rehab, we did put a course on climate change and disability and rehabilitation, and that's available through, um, it's available online. We did it in conjunction with Columbia University. They have something called the Global Consortium on Climate Health Education. They actually do a lot of free programming on climate and health, and our course, which was six hours, is probably the longest and most comprehensive out there on climate change and disability. So that's one thing people can do. Um, they can, I would say the first thing is try to educate yourself as much as possible. Um, you could go to Sustain Our Abilities website. We have a lot of resources available in climate change and disability. You can do things like read books like Drawdown, um, which is a, it's a quick read. It's a comprehensive guide to a hundred things that can be done about climate change. You could, um, you know, just even do things, you know, you could read Bill Gates books, whatever books are out there. There are some really good books. Um, you know, I would say try to get a basic foundation of education. There is an organization called Eco America, which has a training program for healthcare professionals. Um, there's the Climate Reality Project, which kind of trains more people. That's what Gore's group got involved into. Um, and so I would get the background. So we use the term clear. What can healthcare professionals do? And I think this would be a parent for medical students, residents, etc. Communicators. We need to be communicators, climate leaders, educators, advocates, and researchers. So if you want to be clear, you have to realize you've got to communicate. You've got to talk to people about this. To be a climate leader, you need to have a little background. Learn what you can in your free time. These books are easy to read. And then communicate. Go back to your chair. Go to your colleagues and say, you know, I'm really interested in climate change. What are we doing about this? Because the people you are taking care of and you and your family are going to be impacted by this in the future. You know, and we're not even talking about, you know, the horrible impacts on the environment and the animals and, you know, scuba diving and snorkeling and all those terrible things. We're talking about basic health. And so as it gets hotter in different places around the country and around the world, it's going to make life different, right? We're going to have to deal with it. So you got to start that conversation now. You know, feel comfortable. It's, it's important. It's, it's, I, I really liken it to where years ago people had um, more difficulty speaking about um, their sexual preferences. And you've just got to, you know, say something because, you know, climate change has unfortunately become so politicized in the U.S. It's a tough topic to, you know, talk about. And there's doctors that say, oh, you shouldn't talk about climate change at all. Um, On the other hand, there's medical schools that are going into the topic. So bring up the topic with people, you know, get your education, bring up the topic, and then find a small step you can take. Start with a small step. It could be something like a waste audit. It could be something like, 
you know, uh, doing your presentation that you've got to do for your residency on a patient. Um, do a case study, right? You can, have an, uh, you can have an event that happens, patient comes in the ER with X, Y, or Z, it can be related to heat. When you have heat events, there's a lot of issues. Present that. Um, you could um, do something like one of the activities that we did with um, Sustain Our Ability is we started something called Day for Tomorrow. And the idea is Day for Tomorrow is six months between Earth Day. So there's Earth Day and that's in April and Day for Tomorrow is October 22nd. So Earth Day is April 22nd, Day for Tomorrow is October 22nd. The idea is you could have like a festival, right? You could have a fair, you could have a grand rounds on the topic. And if you go to Sustainability's website, we have actions people can take. So you wanna take an action. You wanna to say to yourself, well, what am I gonna do this year? Am I going to decide that I'm gonna start carpooling? Or if I'm buying a car, am I gonna get an electric car? Am I gonna start you know, using a reusable water bottle, not buying bottled water? You know, am I gonna stop eating meat? You know, every one of these actions has a negative impact on carbon. Um, you know, we've got to decrease our CO2 outputs, we've got to decrease our carbon footprints. Do we even know what our carbon footprints are? Um, you know, so there's so many things. It's kind of like you've got to learn about it. You've got to talk to other people about it. You've got to take your own personal inventory. And then you've got to look at, okay, your career in medicine. Mm -hmm. What do you want your career to be? Um, to me, climate change is similar to the issue of smoking. It took a long time for people to realize smoking was bad. Um, and climate change is bad. And, but the problem is when people make money in one way, they never want to switch what they do, right? Mm -hmm. People don't, you know, there's not a lot of people like, I mean, I get energized when I do new things, right? It's like I get to start a new life um, by changing my focus of my career, but other people don't necessarily want to do that. And a great thing if you're young and just getting into healthcare is realizing that there are so many opportunities. There's ways you can have a more sustainable career. You could be part of, you could put this in as part of what you do in rehab, or if you go into another field, you could put it, you could get involved that, that way. There's a lot of opportunities to, um, you know, kind of like get in on the ground floor and really start making some positive changes. Um, incorporating telemedicine into your practice going forward. There's also some people that want to be advocates, right? And people can get involved. There's a group called the Medical Society Consortium on Climate Change and Health. And it's really an advocacy organization. It's a consortium. So there's members from all different societies like the AMA, APA, you know, all the medical societies. And they do a lot of, they have an annual meeting where they go to congressman's office and, and talk about the issues of climate change. So there is a tremendous amount you do you can do. So if you go back to CLEAR, communicators, climate leaders, educators, you can do that. Again, you're anywhere, any environment, school, home, community, advocates, and then researchers. Mm -hmm. And if people are interested in research, there's a lot they can do there. Um, and it can be simple. It could be issues like researching what is the best way to communicate to a patient about climate change. What, um, how could you develop a script to put that as part of your practice? 
Um, it could be researching waste audits, how your particular practice is in terms of your carbon output versus another person's carbon output, how your practice is in terms of waste compared to another practice. Um, you know, the research possibilities are endless. We have developed a database that we do want to, at some point in time, start working on the issues of asking people with disabilities about the impact of climate change mm -hmm. on them. Ultimately, I think what we need to do is have a comprehensive assessment is of how people with different disabilities are impacted by climate change in different locations and then come up with specific solutions for specific areas. So that's one thing we need to do for the disability community. Mm -hmm. We also need to look into creating more sustainable um, forms of rehabilitation. Unfortunately, a lot of the, what I see is when I see like for-profit companies, they're all about just continuing to make money the way they can in terms of patient care. And I think what we need to do is really um, kind of segue into getting back to the Hippocratic Oath, mm -hmm. do no harm, and part of doing no harm is making sure we learn to live our lives a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're actually, what you mentioned is intertwines perfectly with, we're hosting a session as part of the Medical Student Council on Friday, uh -huh. um, and it's called Students Advocating for People with Disabilities at Home and Within the Community, um, and I'll absolutely have to mention that climate change is a huge component of this. Absolutely. You can get involved as, like, you know, from a student perspective, you can actually make tangible change too. Like you don't have to wait to be an MD to start doing these things. Like you can really advocate as a student from really early in your career too. Absolutely. And the thing you need to realize is that it's a great way to build community. Mm -hmm. um, one of my other slogans is community can conquer climate change because <clears throat> there's so many competing interests in the world, right? There is like, you know, gun violence, there is, um, there's the opiate crisis, there is climate change, there is just the general unrest in our country, right? There's the war in Ukraine, so many things going on. And one of the things that I've done, um, and I realize so much, is that we all have to be together. We can't be competitive with each other on this. We have to just be as honest as we can. Um, I'm very fortunate. I was able to, um, after I started my walk, which we'll have to talk about before mm -hmm. I get done, but I was able to, um, I wrote a book about telerehabilitation, edited a book. And as part of it, writing this book, I was able to have a connection with Elsevier. And I realized that there was a need for a journal on climate change and health. And so I, I pitched and launched the Journal of Climate Change and Health in 2020 with Elsevier. And we're like two years into the journal and are getting like 160 papers a year. And I've got people in many, many specialties um, involved in the journal and it's been, it's really taken off. And I think that you, you kind of have to use the just do it statement mm -hmm. and do what you can to learn about things and um, there are resources out there. One of the things that students can do is if they go to the Journal of Climate Change and Health, it's like Science Direct Journal of Climate Change and Health, they can get a, um, if they go to the new submissions and say sign up for alerts, mm -hmm. you know, because journals now are open access, 
you can sign up for the e-alerts and you can just see what articles are out there, just like you do with the New England Journal, and see what interests you. You can see what other specialties are doing. Where we've actually decided to put on a meeting. So the meeting I'm, I'm organizing is called climatehealth2023.com and it's going to be um, in Long Island. Um, and uh, it is going to be at the Zucker Hofstra, Zucker Hofstra School of Medicine. And it's going to be, um, we're bringing together professionals from a lot of different institutions in different areas. And we do have a possibility for people to submit papers. Um, there's a couple scholarships that will be available to residents or students that are submitting papers. Um, and um, so we have a paper session and we're looking at inpatient sustainability, outpatient sustainability, which could be something like nature prescriptions. Mm -hmm. You know, um, anybody can write a nature prescription, right, in some ways. So you could do something on nature prescriptions and how much carbon they save or whatever. Um, we've got uh, one session on climate health education, one on healthcare disparities, and um, another on ethics mm -hmm. of climate change and health. And um, then we're going to have, on Saturday, we're going to have a special session on communication where we're going to have some of the leaders in climate health education um, speaking. We're going to have um, Ed Maybeck from George Mason University, who's a real leader in this field. Courtney Howard, who's from Canada and actually ran as a Green Party candidate or prime minister. But she's an ER doc that lives way up north and is into climate change. And then Lisa Patel, who's the executive director of Medical Society Consortium on Climate and Health. Um, we're also going to have a young activist there who I think is it's really important to bring the youth there. Nayeli Kobo is a 21-year-old. Uh, that is, uh, she's a recipient of the Goldman Prize in, in um, I guess it's in environmental issues, and she's one of the Time 100 Next. Mm -hmm. She is credited for getting the city of LA to stop their oil wells, wow. their drilling. Yeah, like it's gonna happen, it's gonna take about 20 years. But um, as you can see, there's tremendous things people can do. Mm -hmm. So um, if there is an interest, I would say reach out. You could certainly reach out to myself um, or any of the team at Sustainabilities. We're in a, um, we'd love to get people involved with things. You could, um, we are going to have the meeting available free to students to attend virtually. So you could attend Climate Health 2023. And um, I, I do want to tell people about my walk. Yes, um, please tell us. Um, so my, I walked from Canada to Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, so that was about uh, 1,200 miles, and I walked on roads. I did not, it's not like I'm going backpacking in the woods. Basically, I'm walking on roads, and I'm walking on, I'm staying in hotels. I'm not back, you know, I'm not sleeping in a tent. I'm too old for that. And, uh, but what I'm trying to do is highlight how inaccessible our environment is. We have, we don't have sidewalks. You know, and let alone, you know, the issue of uh, people with disabilities having issues. It's able-bodied people can't walk anywhere. I mean, I've walked on a lot of highways, and but that's what I—that's the only way I could get places. So I kind of want to really, you know, what I want to do is really make a point for a healthy environment, and I also wanted to um, make an, a point of community as I continued my walk. So I actually have changed the name of my walk. It's called the 
GRAM, which is the Green Root Aiding Healthy Adaptation and Mitigation. And what I, because it's more relevant than Canada to Key West, right? But it also has the name of GRAM. And the reason it has the name of GRAM is the concurrent crises going on in the world. Actually, my youngest child died this year from fentanyl poisoning. And one of the last things he texted me was, I'm just trying to be out in the country. He loved the country. So my vision is really that we come together in community. We get people that care about specific issues and say, wait, wait, we're all in this together, right? It doesn't matter if, you know, this is your biggest concern in life or this is it. Climate change is like a major threat and it's mentally bothering like a lot of people. There's a lot of people that have climate anxiety. Um, there's the term solastalgia, which is what indigenous peoples feel a lot in terms of not having the same place, but we all feel it, right? Um, and so we need to be, build community about this. I started a letter. I'm hoping you could share on, you know, somehow tell people how to get there. Um, and it's a healthy environment letter. So one action I would love people to take is just to go to change.org, sign the healthy environment letter, and if you can follow sustain our abilities, the walk, take an action where you are, and realize that um, this is not something to wait on. This is something we got to deal with now, and we got to do it quickly. Mm-hmm. I hope this episode inspired you on how to take action for climate change justice as a medical student, trainee, and as a whole field of physiatry. You can find the resources mentioned in the show notes. Remember that you can also submit questions or topics that you'd like heard discussed on Pocket Mentor by going to our website, physiatry.org, on the Pocket Mentor webpage, following us on Twitter or Instagram at AA Physiatrists, or by following the link in the show notes. Thank you so much to our guest, Dr. Alexander, and to all the listeners, take care until next time.